Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm Liz Mitchell, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 17th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Clarence Boone. The Monroe County Community School Corporation, or MCCSC, serves nearly 11,000 students from diverse populations in 23 schools. MCCSC is a leader in STEM and Earth Curricula, encompasses a performing arts academy, international baccalaureate schools, dual immersion programs, over 239 extracurricular activities, or multiple career pathways, a career center, as well as, a new, as well as numerous college credit and advanced placement opportunities to prepare students for college and career readiness. Tonight, we are delighted to speak with members of the MCCSC administration about a variety of topics, namely a wrap-up and closure of the 21-22 academic year, upcoming graduations, and a discussion on a November 8th referendum ballot question that will request a 18.5 cent operating levy aimed at one, increasing teacher and certified teacher salaries, and two, funding for special programs like special education, STEM, and performing arts. Joining us for this discussion are MCCSC Superintendent, Dr. Jeff Oswald, Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction, Mark K. Winston, and Assistant Director of Business Operations, Adam Terwilliger. Welcome all to Bring It On. Welcome to the show. Well, um, you know, through Zoom technology, we get to see our, our guests as they're across the screen from us, and it's the audio we use in radio, uh, but I will say from my vantage point of seeing our guests, they have beaming smiles, and Liz, can it be that the school year is over? I believe, I believe so. That would make me smile, especially dealing with 11,000 students. How many of those students... Um, I'm going to ask this of the superintendent. How many of those students are uh, bilingual? So our numbers fluctuate uh, on, on a regular basis. Um, as you are well aware, um, not only do we have a strong English learner program in our schools to serve our English learner population, um, we also have a strong um, English learner program for through our adult education program at Grandview. So um, there are a lot of um, moving numbers, if you will. Uh, I have a chance to visit a lot of schools every year. And uh, I was just at our Broadview Learning Center about two weeks ago. And when I was there, I, I, I met a family that had just uh, come to Monroe County uh, from Egypt, and they had three children. And they were enrolling, and they wanted their students to experience a little bit of school before summer. And so I tell you that because I just remind people that the number of languages spoken and the number of students that we serve on a regular basis is, is, is evolving and changing 
frequently. And we also um, sometimes look at our numbers from K-12, but I wanna remind people that we have a strong um, English uh, education program for adults in our community as well um, that are wanting to learn um, the English language for various reasons. And so we serve a lot of students um, that uh, we categorize as English learners. But we also serve a lot of adults. Um, currently, we, we estimate that we do a, an annual assessment to understand their level of fluency. And so um, we, we generally uh, estimate um, that about one to two percent of our population are English learners. Okay. And Dr. Win and Dr. Winston, mm -hmm. um, I know you work directly with the English language pr uh, program. Um, I, I have not um, talked to our director recently. The number of languages spoken or any other more specific numbers than the approximate percentages. Do you have those? Yeah, definitely more than 40 languages are spoken in our schools. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I want to thank you. That's the answer on, I was wanting. Yeah, I want to expand a little bit about that. Uh, Dr. Hosswad, you had mentioned that a family from Egypt had just relocated to Monroe County. Is it the case that Monroe County is serving uh, families from, say, hot spots around the world like uh, uh, Afghanistan, maybe the Ukraine or other hot spots where they have relocated to this area? I know at one point in Indianapolis there were quite a few um, immigrants that had arrived uh, and were looking for placement. Now, is Monroe County, have we been fortunate to offer education to some of these families? Yes, we are that fortunate. And I think that speaks to the uh, openness of our community, um, the inclusiveness of our community. And we're a very welcoming um, place. I know that you experience that on a regular basis. We celebrate differences. We, we, we celebrate uh, different cultures. And so uh, we uh, generally, um, there are uh, strict limits on um, uh, what we can ask and what we should ask, of course when we are going through an intake process to enroll students and their families. Um, so it is very limited in our knowledge, but we are um, aware of uh, families from ex Afghanistan, Afghanistan, for example, um, who have uh, recently uh, come to our community and that we are uh, providing educational services um, for, their, for their children. Excellent. Liz? Yeah. Are, are there any uh, things that you do special for people, uh, refugees that are coming in, like say from Ukraine, Afghanistan, uh, uh, Haitians, uh, are there any uh, outreach programs that you try to provide? Are there other services that you have to help these families get? Uh, Dr. Winston, would you like to talk about the entire wraparound services with uh, um, uh, Chun Yang and the, and the, and the, and the, the, the comprehensive piece of that? Uh, I know that Dr. Winston works on this on a regular basis and can provide uh, probably greater specificity than I, but to answer your question, yes, while we're directly responsible for the education of the students, um, we work with community partners and agencies to help uh, um, provide solutions and resources based on uh, other needs that we identify through that process. Uh, Dr. Okay. Winston? Yeah, Dr. Yes. Winston? Yes, absolutely. So we actually have a, a family, well, an online family welcome center, and the purpose of us developing that couple of years ago was for this very purpose, to make sure that we provided supports, resources, connections for families who are coming to our community from various countries, various um, communities and things to help them with the transition, not only for school, but transitioning into our community. So we have some amazing partnerships with community agencies and entities to make sure that we are completely uh, responsive to the needs in terms of our wraparound supports, 
helping them adjust to just being in America, helping them to adjust to what, uh, what to expect in schools. And so Chun Young Zhan is our coordinator for those supports and services. And there are a variety of programs that we offer to support them during their transition, but then also support them once they've been here uh, to make sure that they continue to be successful. And he has a, a team of individuals, many of whom speak a variety of languages to be able to support all of our families. Okay. And we might want to we might want to add that we are uh, so fortunate to have the university uh, in the center of our donut, if you will. And so, as we uh, as we enroll and 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 work with families that are new to our community, um, oftentimes we encounter languages that we may not have someone on staff uh, that fluently speaks. So we we do work a lot with the university and other resources in our community uh, to help us make sure that uh, there are those linguistic barriers are, are can be overcome as part of the introduction um, uh, process and the enrollment process, and then to make sure that we, we meet the needs of our students. So a lot of communities don't have that. We consider ourselves very fortunate um, to have um, resources um, such as what we have at Indiana University to help us. Um, and, and just having a native speaker um, who can immediately um, and, and, and easily and personally uh, welcome them and help uh, at the transition process. Uh, we consider ourselves very lucky that, to have that resource. That was great that you brought that up because that rolls right into the very next question I have. <clears throat> Excuse me. What partnerships do you have with Indiana University? Well, I'll tell you what, we'll split this, we'll split this up a little bit. I'll start and maybe Dr. Winston can can talk about some. She's Dr. Very Winston very... knows everything, doesn't she? <laughs> well, we all Dr. Winston knows more than I do, probably, Liz. It doesn't take long <laughs> for you to figure this out. Okay. Uh, you know. Um, when we talk about finances, you know, our, our finance department that lives and breathes this every day. Of course, within curriculum and instruction, we have an amazing uh, department. Um, one focuses on elementary. We have a one focusing on equity. And so you, what you'll begin to see is that based upon the topic, uh, the expertise is usually much deeper. So within special education, right, it's very complex. And, and, and so we have someone, um, our director of special education, really can talk in depth about that. But let me talk first about the, the partnership with the Indiana University School of Education, um, okay. because that is the really the, the, the what I would consider to be one of the most important partnerships we have. So we are um, we work very, very closely with the Indiana University School of, of, of Education. I know we have frequent meetings and conversations with Dean Roney, as well as the, the staff over there. Um, and, and, and just to give you an, an example um, a lot of the, the undergraduate students or those that are pursuing educational degrees, um, maybe as part of their master's, um, they need placement experiences. And so we serve most of the students at the School of Education in one form or another. Perhaps that's a class in which they're doing weekly observations. Perhaps they are needing to have some sort of experience uh, observing a, a class or a program. Um, then, of course, through student teaching. I, I spoke at the IU School of Education commencement addresses uh, on, on May 8th, and as part of those conversations, I asked the graduates to raise their hand if they had been in an MCCS school um, during their time there, and, and all of them raised their hands. So we know that's an important partnership. It also develops relationships, and not only are we helping provide a really good educational foundation through experiential learning to our undergraduate students that want to become teachers, but we're developing relationships, right? And so ideally, then, we can help uh, identify their strengths and, and then create partnerships and then hopefully help them transition into jobs here at MCCSE. 
We currently are anticipating needing about 80 uh, certified teachers this year. As you know, there's uh, shortages in education all around. And so I, I would say that's one of the most important partnerships. We also work with the Indiana University School of Education on a lot of research components. Uh, when we have questions, they, they have researchers that assist us with those questions. Um, they really can help provide professional development for our staff. That includes through uh, special education, for example, general teaching and instruction, improving our assessment teach, uh, practices. We have a strong component we're working on with um, culturally responsive teaching, and we want to really work with that with IU as well as other uh, providers to provide that kind of professional learning for, for our staff. And so the School of Education and MCCSC, by virtue of our, our primary role of educating K-12 and pre-K to 12 students, um, I would say that's the strongest partnership we have. And, and it's so important. And we consider ourselves lucky because the IU School of Education is the number one ranked school of education program in Indiana. It continues to be uh, nationally recognized for its research, for its, its um educational uh, doctorate programs for its master's programs. And, and so it's an amazing partnership and we are, we are really uh, tight partners and we see it as a two-way street in which there's a lot of ways we, we work to provide them with the resources and the, the, the research uh, um, that's, that's necessary. And then they do the same for us. So um, that is really just a, a huge benefit that can't be understated. And it does help us attract um, quality teachers um, that it may be in a, um, um, an easier manner than some places that don't have a university in their backyard. Okay. Um, uh, Dr. Winston, you want to talk about a couple of the other grants that we've been working on this year? Absolutely. We have a recovery grant um, as part of how we are responding to COVID. And that partnership is specifically with Indiana University School of Education, in which there are a number of IU students um, who are tutoring several hundred students within our schools. And so they've provided hundreds of hours worth of tutoring this school year um, for many of our students. And so we've been very excited about that. We've been able to, to do that because of our recovery grant partnership. And in addition to that, I forgot to mention this earlier, but uh, Mr. Chun Young Zhan, who oversees our uh, English language learner program, he has about 400 students uh, in our schools who speak a second language, who are also receiving direct tutoring from IU students as part of their course requirement. And that has been an amazing partnership uh, that's really made a, a big difference for our students as well. One other thing that we might, one other thing we might add is that sometimes when we have challenges, we just simply go to the university and, and ask them for possible solutions. One example, we know that we have labor shortages uh, in our community and, and of course, statewide and nationally. Um, and we've had a shortage of substitute teachers, and that really can affect our ability to provide the needed learning experiences for te- for students on a daily basis. Um, and and those, those, those situations vary from day to day. And so when we went to the university, we began a program to partner with uh, student teachers that, that normally may student teach for 10 weeks, 12 weeks. And we asked them, what about expanding that for an entire year? And by doing that, they would have the, the, the opportunity to provide some substitute experiences throughout the year um, and create some additional capacity. And we were able to pay the students for doing that. So that's an example where we work closely with university to solve some of our sub shortages for people that are aspiring to be teachers anyway. We're allowed to pay them and it allows us to continue our educational services on daily basis without disruption because of teacher shortages. You know, that could be for teachers that are needing to quarantine uh, for for COVID-related reasons, right, for general absences. And so 
that's a way that we've worked with Indiana University to avoid educational disruptions. And so these are just examples of, of the, the ways that we partner with the university. That sounds like a really great partnership with Indiana University. Do you have the same partnership with Ivy Tech? Yes. And, um, you know, uh, not only does Ivy Tech provide a, a, a tremendous amount of support for us at the high school level, and that includes through our dual credit program, through accreditation programs, whether that's uh, our nursing program or some of our other career pathways. So at the Hoosier Hills Career Center, also though, through dual credit opportunities at the high school level, they, they help accredit those and many, many of those, they help provide the support for those, the professional development. And what that does is that allows our students to earn credits at high school, which can create huge savings for them when they go to college. It can of course help eliminate, um, you know, one year of, of college tuition in many ways. It's, it's free for our high school students. So there's just one example. I want to give you another one, uh, Liz, based on your question. We, uh, of course, have a shortage of teachers. And so this year, we used some of our federal grant dollars to start something we call a Grow Your Own program. So Grow Your Own is the concept of identifying people in our community that would like to be teachers. And by doing that, we've reached out and had a particular focus on recruiting um, teachers um, that are um, uh, multilingual, for example, that speak multiple languages um, because we have a shortage of, 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 um, of foreign language teachers in our schools. We also need um, teachers that are multilingual to work with uh, many of our English learners. So we had that need. Uh, we also had a focus on, of course, continuing to diversify our staff and reach out to find um, um, candidates of color, teachers of color, um, to further diversify our classroom. So we reached out to Ivy Tech to help partner with that. And we identified 18 people in our community, uh, many of them were paraprofessionals who aspired to be teachers and they had high school diplomas. So in January, we worked with Ivy Tech to begin a program where we pay them um, and we employ them during the day. And then at night, they're taking their foundational classes at Ivy Tech. And then we have a partnership so that then from Ivy Tech, they can transition to uh, to another university and earn their teaching license. And they'll earn their teaching license in approximately three to three and a half years while they're working for MCCSC. And then they can transition into their own teaching classroom in our district. So we call it Grow Your Own. And that's identifying the resources and the people with all of this potential in our own community. And then helping them on a pathway to earn their teaching license so that they can be our future teachers. And by doing that with grant funds and by working with Ivy Tech, those classes are free of charge to our, to, to our employees that are in this program. As a matter of fact, it's been so successful. We just received a award from the Indiana Department of Education for our innovation and ways to attract, um, to, to train and, and, and identify and train new teachers to the profession. And we are preparing for our second cohort. Um, and that will be starting in January 1st, 2023. So this fall, and to your listeners, if you have a high school diploma, and if you, whether you work in education or not, and you dream to be a teacher, if you can reach out to us, we have information on our website, but if you'll reach out to any of us, we will be glad to help um, explain to you what the Grow Your Own program looks like. You have a full-time job with benefits while you're in school. We pay for the classes, and then we train you to be a teacher. And then in return, all we ask is that you teach for MCCSC. So um, we think it's a, a great trade-off. And that's just one example. And tonight we're having our graduation ceremonies, of course, for our um, um, at Ivy Tech. So uh, we we have a lot of our um, 
Uh, we, we use their facilities, of course, but they're just amazing partners to us in this community. Okay, wonderful. I don't want to, I'm going to hand the ball over to Clarence. Well, if you've just tuned in the voice you just heard uh, sharing some of the uh, the new programming at MCCSC is Dr. Jeff Halswald, who's no stranger to bring it on. He is the superintendent again of MCCSC. And joining him tonight is Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction, Markay Winston, who also is no stranger to bring it on. Uh, but joining us for the first time is the Assistant Director of Business Operations, uh, Mr. Adam Terwilliger. And um, Something that uh, Dr. Uh, Oswald said earlier was that they use innovation to solve some of their problems. Well, if we at Bring It On have used the Zoom technology over the last two to two and a half years because, of course, uh, the pandemic that we've all experienced. And while it is convenient and while it allows us to reach out to guests and not have them travel to a studio, you might discern on occasion that the transmission of data may slow down and it does dis- disrupt, disrupt or somewhat um, uh, sort of muffle the voice or the voices of those guests. But nevertheless, that is why we have Adam Terwilliger here, because as Assistant Director of Business Operations, he's going to tell us how to resolve this and he's going to tell us how to update our, our equipment. And, and so, Mr. Terwilliger, uh, I don't really want you to answer that because this is technology. And uh, now, if you have a suggestion or two, we'll take it. But one thing I am curious about, in some uh, school corporations, one of the big issues that we've seen play out over the year is uh, bus drivers who can't seem to get where they need to go on time or a lack of bus drivers or just the consternation of, of having some big miscues with dropping students off or picking them up and all this and the other. Now, is that under your control or supervision? And if so, what steps is MCCSC taking to make sure that Johnny or Janie arrives where they're supposed to arrive and they're not in a bus all day long and they get home safely at a, at a good time? So if you could share that uh, uh, response with us. Well, thank you for, for asking. And and, and uh, it absolutely is something that is quickly and has, has come under uh uh, my purview and, um, you know, and, and, and will be prospectively moving forward in the area of trans- transportation and logistics and efficiencies in transportation. But um, have to understand that, like, absolutely, um, uh, it, it, the, one of uh, our largest concerns this year, if you've uh, observed and have seen some of the media surrounding transportation, is our ability to be able to um, reduce lost instructional time for students due to um, inabilities to be able to transport in a timely fashion. Uh, to desired locations. And that's due to a, a myriad of factors. Um, you know, the, the great resignation, you know, is one of them, certainly finding employees to staff positions, um, but also logistics and really just diving into um, looking into the way our system is set up for our student load and looking at our populations that ride and who is affected. And um, then, then in turn, doing a study, and we've done so over six months with, with the help of some consultants on that ridership data and, and diving into how can we optimize our routing structure and what does that look like for a corporation of our size? And what we came up with um, in turn was this um, real, real deep dive into, you know, we were maybe never running the best system that we could have with just two start times in our school corporation. We had a eight o'clock start time and a nine o'clock start time uh, for quite some time. And, and potentially before that, a little bit off of eight and a little bit of off, off of nine o'clock. Um, but then what happened was, as I've been saying, water kind of always found its level. 
we had a staff of maybe 100 or so drivers or 110, we're about 80, 85 right now um, to staff a system that was always designed to have 140 routes um, due to just a very rigid structure of two school start times. And so through the use of careful analysis, routing data and, 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 and transportation analysis, we determined that we could more efficiently improve our route and run times by staggering our start times of our corporation. So um, 745, 810, 9 o'clock and 930 would be our high school, middle school, and then a split of our elementary programs. And by staggering those times, we could effectively acknowledge a reality that's happening right now. Having buses go around, we have some students that are dropped off at 720 for an eight o'clock start time. And then those buses will go and then in turn, pick up another a group of high school students or middle school students, drop them off and attempt to go out and pick up a couple of different group of elementary students and drop them off and potentially not always all happen in a timely fashion. Well, that's really a four tiered starting system with a two tiered starting bell time system that's currently in place. And so through careful analysis and really just, I mean, logistics and math, which is kind of the area that that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm the best at for, for these kinds of things. Um, it's, it's just a reality of, of acknowledging that and then optimizing, right? As best as we possibly can in our current structure. And who that really affects are the people that have, have no choice. It's our priority populations, our populations of poverty that we service the most uh, but at ratio that, 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 that ride our buses, right? Because um, there's, there's no option to have an, an additional ride, ride, ride to school. There's no option to, to, to grab an Uber or something like that to, to get to school if, if we don't like the times that that, that starting is taking place. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's just an acknowledgement of realities and then doing a deep dive into what can we do to fix it and then, and then enacting and then fixing it. And it, and it, it is a painful thing to acknowledge, but um, what it's going to do is reduce, um, in fact, almost darn near zero our lost instructional time, and then in turn, our lost time at home on the tail end of the day that is spent waiting on buses to come pick up. And, and, and Clarence, yeah. Clarence I, if I may add, um, this is an equity issue, and we talk about equity, you know, working with the Board of School Trustees, we created a strategic plan with more, one of the core tenets was equity, and part of equity was not only fixing transportation, right? But increasing access. And we can't do that if we can't even get our students to their neighborhood school on time. And, you know, in working with Dr. Winston, we began analyzing some of the data with Mr. Trewilliger. And we learned that when we, as we talk about risk ratios, right? There is more risk. There are more uh, economically disadvantaged students that ride the bus than don't. And when the buses are running late, 30 to 45 minutes, this is disproportionately impacting a priority population. And there's no excuses. And we, we, we do know that there is an inconvenience to starting our high school 15 minutes early. We, we acknowledge that. And we acknowledge that a 30 minute later start from our elementary um, pop, uh, for some of our elementary schools is inconvenient. But we also know that if we're going to look at this from an equity standpoint, we cannot operate schools in a time in which our priority populations are disproportionately impacted and brought to school late and they were in which they lose instructional time. So we really felt passionate about that. We, we had to right-size our fleet so that we don't have buses that don't have drivers. I mean, I've never seen a bus operate without a driver. Now, maybe in some sci-fi it does, but we're not ready for that yet, and I don't think we will be while I'm superintendent. But what we know is that we've got to develop a system with 80 to 85 drivers, and we know that there are, a few, there are some savings, actually, from, from having less buses. And the great thing is when the board took action to change the start times, 
we took those savings and applied them to our bus driver salaries and increased our, our bus driver salaries by $2 an hour. We know that our bus driver salaries are above the state average and that we're compensating fairly. We wish we could compensate more and over time, maybe we can, but we know that for us, this is about creating a system that doesn't fail students. We've got to get the students to school on time. And, um, and, and we are passionate about that. Now, something else we'll point out that as part of this, we are overhauling our te- the technology associated with this. Our, our um, families will have apps. Um, they'll be able to monitor the bus. They will uh, have the opportunity to sign up for a text when their student boards the bus. They'll know where their student is. Um, you know, for those who, who may fly and they're notified when, they're, when their luggage is put on a plane, you just think, yeah. oh, good, my, you're good. I'm going to be on vacation with my, my luggage and, and not without. And so we are overhauling the technology and, the, and, and those types of pieces. And we see this as a safety issue, right? We'll now know exactly which students board a bus. Our bus drivers will be more informed of the routes um, um, and, and with through technologies, kind of like what you experience when you take a ride share. And so we're going to have a safer system that communicates more in more timely manner to families. But, but the most important part of these changes is that we have, are creating a system that doesn't fail our students by having lost learning time because we can't get into school on time. And at the heart of things, that's our priority. Okay, you talked about... Oh, just one, one follow-up. Okay. <laughs> and uh, like now in school, you raise your hand when you... Know. Um, is it the case that uh, as you put a, a, a sort of a an announcement out for all those aspiring to be substitute teachers and the like, are you willing to do that now for those that wish to drive a bus and the caliber of person you're looking for who is passionate about the first the safety and well-being of, of the precious cargo that they are transporting and into being committed, being timely and uh, using looking at other school districts, common sense uh, when working with other people's children. So do you want to put that ad out? Uh, Absolutely. What are you looking for? Yes. And thank you for giving us this free plug. I appreciate it. I know we have to pay to be on the show, but it sounds like <laughs> we don't. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, but this is a, an opportunity for us to, to point out that we have on mccsc.edu, our website, we have a listing of, of, of jobs. We're sending out information uh, through our newsletters and we do have vacancies. We need bus drivers. And um, if someone does not have a CDL, um, a commercial driver's license, we have the ability to train them, right? To work with them and help them. Sometimes they may serve as a bus aide while we help them take classes. So we don't want that to, to discourage anyone. Yes, we need paraprofessionals. We need food service workers. We need bus drivers. Um, we, we need um, teachers. So absolutely, we, we, what, what we say is that even if you don't need the money, if you're willing to help us provide a service to help our students get to school, we would be forever grateful. Um, and, and so we, we know that there are people maybe recently retired that have the time and they say, well, I don't, I don't need the job. Um, we, we see it as a way to give back and we encourage people to let us know if they're willing to help us out. And by realized savings, as we talked about um, in increasing wages, uh, just to top those wages for transportation, that those will be up into the $23, $24, $25 an hour mark into January of 2023, of course, depending upon experience levels and such. But we really will be amongst the most competitive in the state with, with the savings realized by right-sizing our fleet. Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I had a question about, we, we talked about equity, and I have something about inequity uh, for whoever would like to answer this. 
Are you aware of the report done by uh, Indiana University's professor, Paul H. O'Neill from the School of Public and Environmental Affairs? It was dated February of 2022, describing the sharp disparities within the distribution of low-income Black and Hispanic students between local elementary schools. So is there a plan um, and whether you're in on this to redraw the school's district to address those inequity levels in Monroe County school system? I don't know. Yeah, I'll take that question. Yes, uh, yes, I'm aware of the plan. I've had uh, members of the community who have met with us on that. and overall, I believe that if you look at our strategic plan, uh, Ms. Liz, you'll see that we have begun to target specific goals uh, in our strategic plan related to equity and diversity. Um, and so we are working together as an administrative team with the Board of School Trustees to address those. And when we talk about transportation, for example, um, we are um, working on improving our transportation system because in the end, then that can increase access. And so, mm-hmm. for example, um, we really want to increase access so students have access to more than one school. A lot of our conversations about which school a student goes to, and we would like to say which schools a student has access to over time. So, for example, you started the, the program, the conversation about English learners. And so we have a, an incredible dual language program. Um, it's very successful. We operate that at Clear Creek Elementary School and Summit Elementary School. But if a student li- lives on the east side, Right. And and they may want to be part of that program, but yet without the means to, 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 to be transported, they don't have access. So we're very well aware of it. Um, there are um, we have reviewed it. There are some 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 slight maybe flaws in the methodologies of the study. But we think deep down is a concern that we share to make sure that we continue to provide a greater and greater um, correlation of equity for all students. And that's not the best way to say that, but we provide equitable educational opportunities for students. And we see that as, as doing that through access um, and also towards making sure that our, our, our schools ultimately have closer uh, alignment in terms of what, what our state categorizes by free and reduced lunch. I mean, that's, that's sort of how we categorize it, but by socioeconomic status. So it is, it is a concern. We acknowledge it. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, of barriers that, that um, exist, and some of those have been self-imposed. Other of those, quite honestly, have been imposed by our state legislature. Um, right. we, we know, right? When our state has created, um, they like to brag about the, being the, 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 United, the, the biggest and best choice program in the United States. But what people aren't talking about is, in many cases, school choice is further segregating our schools. In many mm-hmm. cases, it's the 21st century version of segregation when not everyone has access to a private school, right? You have to maybe have the right religion. You have to, uh, you have, to have certain academic uh, levels of, of performance. Uh, in some cases, though, it may not be stated. You know, maybe you have to have the, be the right race. Um, and, and this is very, very concerning to me personally. And so we have other barriers that exist that are not just uh, locally created. And that's going to make the work harder. Um, you know, when you look at... Um, Many of our, our, our charter schools, or you look at our, our private schools, and, and um, they have um, a higher levels, uh, lower levels of poverty, right? What that's doing is creating greater uh, areas of concentration of poverty for some schools, particularly urban schools. I'm president of the Indiana Urban School Association, and I can say something as a matter of fact. It costs more to educate a student in poverty. 
And also the costs grow exponentially when poverty rates rise within a setting. And so what that means is that if you take, I I used to serve a school that was 98% free and reduced lunch. And we know it costs more to educate every student in that school because of the high concentration of poverty. And so number one, we're already uh, locally trying to create uh, greater equity within our schools. But then we all, we have other barriers that exist because of Indiana's choice problem. So there are a lot of headwinds that we're facing. It doesn't mean we're not up for the challenge and it doesn't mean we're not committed to it. So yes, we're well aware of the study. We take the conversation seriously. I think our board through the adoption unanimously of a strategic plan with a strong focus on equity and diversity. And of course, passing the referendum. So don't forget, we got to talk about that today. You promised. Yeah. And so, yes. <laughs> um, and so uh, yes, we're aware of it and it is serious. And, and, and we, there, are, there are steps we're already beginning to take to address that concern. Um, but we do want to acknowledge that, that our state legislature has imposed upon us and opposed upon this state some programs that I fear are further segregating our populations. Yeah. You, you well, might, did you notice you hit a, 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 a you hit you struck a nerve with me? Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you might have done That's that. On okay. Purpose. That's my blood okay. pressure is going up, and they can't. That's- Clarence says they can't see me, but my face is getting red. <laughs> well, you know, I was trying. That was uh, well, questions well, I was yeah. thinking of earlier because I know. Uh, uh, in, in conversations with people that uh, have kids in school, uh, wonder about that. I, I have a grandchild in school. And so uh, I try to keep up on that. And pre uh, uh, the pandemic, I made it my business to be in his school every week. I, tried, I, well, I had attempted to start a grandparents program where grandparents were in there uh, we take turns and someone would show up every day starting a reading program that we come took. on back. And, and that's, come on back. Yeah. That's what I love to do. And how I fell in love with reading is listening to older people read. And, um, and since the pandemic, we haven't been able to go into school and do that. So, well, well we have eased some of those restrictions. So I, what I would encourage you to do is, um, we'll have a conversation later. And to anyone that wants to volunteer at our schools, let us know because we are creating uh, opportunities and we are encouraging those um, volunteers to come back into our schools. It's so important. Number one, it creates it's mentor opportunities for students, right? So we need you in the school and, and we are um, returning to some of the pre-pandemic programming and volunteering opportunities. Right. So come on back. And to your listeners, if they don't know how to be involved, call their local school. Talk to the principal. I promise you, we will welcome you into the school and we have a lot of needs. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up and allowing me to uh, get, that's my second plug. And I, Mr. Boone told me if I do three commercials, I have to pay more. So, uh, I, I counted three, but uh, no, oh, we'll, you, you we'll, we'll let three. you go. We'll let you go, yeah. It's school, year's, well, school year's over. It's all right, go ahead. Well, I'm glad that uh, you invited volunteers to come on because uh, Dr. Gladys Devane wanted me to make sure. I know uh, Dr. Marquet Winston knows about resilience productions, and I hope that she will give you uh, further information about us. There's three women. It's myself, Elizabeth Mitchell, Dr. Gladys Devane, and our director, Daniel Bruce, and we put plays on depicting the African-American culture and experience in Monroe County and beyond. So we would 
welcome to come to the schools at any time, not just during February. Don't call us then, we're busy. Uh, Black history is every month of the year. So we, we wanted to make ourselves available to that. Now let's talk about the referendum. Who wants to go with that? The 18.5 cent operating levy. Well, let me start and, and okay. just do the general, if you don't mind, and then we'll let Mr. Uh, ask Mr. Twilliger to give some additional financial details. All so right. as you as you know, um, MCCSC has operated under a referendum since 2010. The first voter approved one in 2010 was for 14 cents. Now we want to clarify that when we say 14 cents, what does that mean? Well, that means that if you take the assessed valuation of a home, and of course it's a net assessed valuation because there are deductions for mortgages and things. You divide that value by $100 and you pay 14 cents of that 100 back in 2011. So um, generally what we mean is when we talk about all these pennies today, we're talking about the pennies on $100 of a home's value. And right now um, we have some new uh, data out from uh, Monroe County. The average home value is around $257,000, which, which is another conversation for another day. But, um, but that's what we're going to be talking about. And in 2010, the voters approved the referendum for uh, 14 cents, but we, did a, we set it on an amount, not a rate. And we asked for $7.3 million. And we've asked for that over the last 12 years. Unfortunately, um, there's a little thing called inflation. And we can't do for $7.3 million in 2022 what we could do in 2010. So that means that we have less capacity within our referendum to do the things we discussed in 2010. Because our inflationary rates uh, have been adjusted for about 25%. So we would need $9.3 million today to be to, to uh, equivocate with $7.3 million in 2010. So we number one, we have an inflation problem. And Mr. Twilliger mentioned he's a math teacher. I, I might've been a former math teacher myself. So you're, you're talking to two former math teachers. And so you might be better asking these questions to Dr. Winston. So, uh, um, but, but anyway, um, we also know that since 2010, the state of Indiana has taken over funding for public, for our education fund. That's the fund we use to pay our teachers and our paraprofessionals and a lot of our, 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 our curriculum instruction programming at our schools. Well, they took over the funding in 2010 because they cut taxes, property taxes, and then they raised sales tax. Now, that's a regressive tax, which disproportionately affects economically disadvantaged uh, people, right? So um, nonetheless, they, they impose a greater regressive tax through increasing the sales tax. And then they began funding the education fund, which we use to pay teachers. Since 2010, for the last decade, they are 17% lower than the 2010 funding levels when adjusted for inflation. So that faces, we face two problems. Number one, we have less referendum dollars today when adjusted for inflation. And the state isn't meeting its educational commitment. And we know that every dollar spent on K-12 public education has a 20 times return on the community. It benefits um, property values. It attracts new businesses and increases jobs. It in improves quality of life initiatives in the community. And educational attainment increases the average health of a person, increases longevity. I mean, this is, uh, this is uh, at the core of our, of our purpose and we're not meeting it at the state level. So unfortunately, that means that local school districts that need to do the work that we're obliged to do 
have to come back and ask local taxpayers to increase their taxes through a local referendum. And fortunately in NCCSC, we have done that. Um, and so we're coming back in 2022 for our third referendum. And we are increasing the rate a little bit because we have more work to do. I'm gonna talk about a couple more things that we're gonna do with additional money. And then we'll let uh, Mr. Terwilliger talk about the specific financial uh, repercussions or investments that we're gonna ask people to do. I say investments, you might say repercussions. So um, the first one is we've got to pay our teachers more. We have to pay our teachers more. Our teachers are just the fiber of our work and we have not been able to keep up with inflation on their salaries and it has a cost. Uh, and it, it costs our ability to, um, uh, uh, to retain teachers and attract teachers, including one of our board's goals is to, to, to hiring and have a more diverse teaching staff. To do that, we have to be able to compete Dr. Winston is heavily involved in recruiting and hiring of our teachers. And it's amazing how often we identify a qualified teacher color who turns us down because of the salary. So if we're going to make sure all of our teaching positions are filled, and if we're going to diversify our staff, one of the things we need to do is increase our salaries. And so that is the primary um, area that we're, we, we're going to use new funding for. Um, the second area is to increase our hourly wages. We talked about our bus drivers, but we're having difficulty attracting food service workers and paraprofessionals. Um, we can't compete with some of our local um, businesses. And so the next thing is to increase our hourly wages by $2.25 so that our starting salary is roughly $15.50. It's a step in the right direction. And when we don't do this, it has an effect on all of us. We know this, we, well, earlier in this program, we talked about bus driver shortages. And what that's done for our learning. What's that's done to families when buses don't show up? So we know that we currently have 120 vacant positions. Those are positions of students that need to be working with students on an individual basis, maybe to help meet their individual education plan. Maybe it's a student with a ex learning exception. Maybe it's a food service worker. And that affects our ability to serve fresher food, right? Because it takes more staff members to serve, you know, to cut up and make these salads and, and to have more options there. It's, it affects our ability to get all of our students to school on time. So number one, increase teacher salaries. Number two, increase hourly wages. Number three, and you mentioned this at the start of the, of, of the show, it's to increase uh, funding for programs in special education, the arts, and STEM. We know that we have continue to be have a vibrant arts community, and we know STEM is so important in our learning, and we know we have increased special education costs. And so we need a few more dollars for that. We're not asking for a lot on that. Um, we're asking for about um, one cent of our, of our new funds on that. And so when you add that up and you add four and a half cents for teacher salaries and 3.75 cents on um, our, our classified staff salaries and about a dollar, uh, 1.25 cents on our special programs, overall, we're looking at an increase of less than a dime, less than a dime for all of those things we can do to move the needle forward, to advance learning, and to, to continue to allow our school district, who's currently ranked 13th out of 290 school districts in Indiana, to just keep getting better. It also gives us the capacity to, to address some of the concerns you brought up earlier in the show, whether it's equity, it's diversity, it's access. These types of important things through professional learning, additional money so that our teachers have training on whether it's culturally responsive teacher, teaching social emotional learning, or really just the, the art and science of what they do on, an, on a daily basis. Those funds will be an investment. And we don't see it as a cost. We see it as investment. 
So back to your point, we are going to ask the taxpayers for 18.5 cents on the referendum. It used to be 14 cents in 2010. So it's less than a nickel increase. It's currently nine cents. So that would be a dime increase. And for a dime, for a dime on $100, we can move the needle forward and accomplish great, even better things than we're doing now. And so if you don't mind, I'd like Mr. Terwilly to talk about some of the financial pieces and how how your listeners can learn about what the cost is to them, but also what that will do in terms of an investment to the K-12 public education community. Uh, Adam. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Hoswell. So, right. I mean, like, it, I think the big takeaway, and it's a lot of math being shared, and it can make you, it can make you crazy, right? But, like, the average homeowner, here, here's the reality, right? So, right now, the average homeowner in Monroe County in district pays $700 in property taxes to support the work of the MCCSC. 600 of that goes towards what's called the base tax rate, and 100 of which goes towards the referendum. The average homeowner, as a result of what we're seeking for the upcoming referendum in 2022, w- w- would pay an additional $125 to the MCCSC to support our work. Um, that, that is going to support not everything Dr. Hoswell mentioned and further our work and uh, support you know, our, our, our staff. And, and certainly 93% of our current referendum is spent with uh, staff and salaries. And as, as he mentioned, um, you know, we're going to continue to support that. We are the eighth lowest taxing rate in the entire state of Indiana among schools, eighth lowest, and, as you, and, and 13th highest ranked in, in terms of our services we provide. So we do more with less, and we do a really good job at that. Um, that $125 represents you know, about $10 a month, right? So we're talking a Netflix membership. We're talking a weekly cup of coffee. If you can find a cup of coffee for, for two bucks and a quarter or two bucks and a half. Um, so really, we're looking at what we anticipate to be um, very, very, very nominal things that we can ask the community to do to support our work as part of this referendum. And we know that we will be the, still amongst the lowest in the state because of our, of our rising assessed valuation um, in, in the county. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why we were able to settle at a rate of 18 and a half cents, because we initially thought we were going to be a little bit higher. Um, but because of that uh, property value increase, we were able to come back and, and seek out an, a lower rate to support the same amount of work with, um, you know, with the time, uh, sorry, forgive me, with, 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 with the amount of money. Uh, there's a lot, the peanut gallery is making comments here. I'm getting distracted. But um, regardless, we're, we're going to be able to support, um, you know, our, our levy, which is our revenue amount that we're going to be asking. Uh, we'll be able to support that with the rate that we have. So we're very excited about that. And we think we'll be able to further our work here in the MCCSC and, and, and do a good job at that. Now, I, one thing I want to mention is that, and Dr. Hoswell said it, and I want to make sure I say it again. You know, this referendum is an expiring, uh, our current referendum is expiring in 2022. And so we need the support of the community to be able to, to, to further our work for sure and to keep it going. That's why one of our messaging is going to be continue and extend. We have to continue the $7.3 million that's coming into the district every single year as part of our existing referendum and then advance it with uh, the additional uh, levy that, that we're requesting as part of this upcoming referendum that gets us to our 18 and a half cent rate. Um, so we ask that of the community. Um, we hope that um, the community will hear us and vote yes on November 8th. And just understand, you know, we don't want to run it on a, on a gloom and doom, but the, our, our corporation would look significantly different without a referendum. We're very proud to be a referendum community. We're proud to be a referendum district, and we're proud to have the support of this community. And we want it to continue to look the same and continue to grow in the areas that we've uh, promised um, here as part of our work. I have, I have a question uh, as we are minutes away from concluding this, this very helpful, entertaining, enlightening, stimulating conversation. Earlier, uh, I think Dr. Winston, you mentioned 
the recovery grant with regards to COVID. And we have not, when we last talked, we have spent a lot of times having conversations on COVID, MCCSC. I am so glad that uh, the numbers are, are fairly low, but um, they are tending to, to sort of escalate Mm-hmm. on the east coast and in, in california and, and it seems that it all sort of moves towards the midwest the recovery grant funds that you use have helped tremendously to bring i used to that grant last is it near a sunset or do you have to apply again or what's the status of that so the uh, recovery grant we have approximately one and a half more years of that particular grant and that grant has helped us with a number of, of initiatives around tutoring supports, mental health supports for students, social emotional supports, any number of initiatives um, are being covered through that recovery grant. We've been able to hire some additional supplemental teachers through those additional grant funds as well. So we've got another year and a half on that particular grant, but there are also a, 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 a two additional grants um, that go a little bit beyond the uh, 2023 year. Okay. And with that, we may have to let that be the last point tonight, which means only that you got to come back again. Um, <laughs> we have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. It sounds as if 21 and 22, the, this academic year that has come to a close has been a very uh, favorable and uh, uplifting year amidst some challenges that, that all communities have faced. I do want to bring you back to talk about what just happened the other day and what measures we're taking to prevent that from ever, ever happening in Monroe County School Corporation. That's the tragic loss of our, of our treasure. We look, forward to, that, uh, we look forward to that conversation uh, as well. Um, and we are already, I know that Dr. Wentz and I had uh, meetings this morning with staff members, and we are meeting with many of the students uh, in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, we, I think it would be good to have that conversation uh, after we've learned more. Um, and after we have some actionable items uh, that we have proposed and, and, and implemented um, based upon your, con- uh, your rightful concerns. So uh, uh, I think that will be an important conversation. I know that uh, um, I, you're running out of time, but I do want to congratulate. This past weekend, um, we had uh, ceremonies Thursday night, uh, Friday night, and uh, over uh, on Saturday, we had Bloomington North and South. We want to congratulate our nearly 800 students and our 151 adults that graduated or earned their high school equivalency from MCCSC, we are proud of them. And it just speaks to the, the significance of, of their accomplishment, the support of this community, as well as their grit, drive, and determination, as well as their caring compassion for each other to help each other get to that finish line. And, and we know that our community is a better place and the world will be a better place um, because the future generations have a lot of uh, challenges, challenges that we've created and we're confident that they'll, they'll, they'll solve those problems. And, and we're really proud of them. Thank you for letting me get that plug in. And I do want to just quickly announce that we did let you mention that, that Mr. Twilliger is now our director of uh, finance and, and um, logistics. But we didn't mention that Dr. Winston is no longer the assistant superintendent. And I don't know if you brought that up. But, uh, yeah, she was given the boot. And uh, we have now promoted her to our deputy superintendent. Uh, she's number two on the marquee. And um, the board approved that recommendation. And I just want to celebrate that accomplishment as well. Um, of course, we put our students first. So we're more proud of the students. But we're grateful and, and, and thankful for Dr. Winston, who is now deputy superintendent, 
And uh, you know, if you if you if you say the wrong title going forward, she'll probably correct you, Chris. You know, I, I I'm getting I'm getting the chalk out. I'm finding the nearest blackboard, so I will write it a hundred times. But congratulations, ma'am. And yeah. Well deserved. Well Thank deserved. You. Well yeah. deserved. Well, we'll definitely have note, to have you back because I've got a lot of questions. I want you to explain right. your STEM program. Uh, there's just a lot of things that maybe right before school school starts again. Absolutely. We can talk about specifics on these different yes. things. And congratulations, girlfriend. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'd wonderful. love to come back. And what, a, right. what a wonderful way to end this uh, very uh, wonderful conversation. Our thanks to MCCSC Superintendent Dr. Jeff Halls-Walt, Assistant Deputy Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction, Mark K. Winston, and Assistant Director of Business Operations, Adam Terwilliger, for joining us to provide a recap on the 21-22 academic year, a discussion on the upcoming fall referendum ballot question on November 8th, and there's some other points we touched on that we will revisit at a, at a future date. So thank you all for joining us. Yes, thank you very much. Bring It On has an open submission and policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is Bring it on at WFHB.org. We want to make sure everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bring it on at WFHB.org. Bring it on's executive producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone. And tonight's assistant producer is Liz Mitchell. Show consultant, WFHB News Department Director is Kate Young. Program engineer, Chantal Fontaine. Original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Liz Mitchell. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.